You see an offensive and racist meme in a post. Cruel comments in a group chat. Photos on Instagram of teens drinking. Unsolicited graphic nude pictures. This time it's not your kid, but now you know about it. Do you contact the other kid's parents? If it was your kid, will you want another parent to call you? When should one parent contact another parent about something she saw online? And when is that likely to just make everything worse? Hi, I'm Mark Roman, a tech policy expert and former White House advisor on privacy. I'm David Reitman, an adolescent medicine doctor who works with teens. We're also married to each other and raising a teenage son of our own. You're listening to Their Own Devices, a parenting podcast with practical advice for the 21st century. I wanted to do an episode on this topic for quite a while because it seems to be far more controversial and complicated than I would have thought. And the question is, when is it appropriate for one parent to call another parent about the other kids' online activity or posts? What do you think, David? I think it really depends on the kid. I think it depends on your relationship with the other parent. I think it depends on the nature of the posts. There's a lot of variables there. My instinct would be to call another parent because I would like to know if our son engaged in some kind of behavior that caused other people concern or potentially put him at risk. I would hope another parent would call us and I would extend that same courtesy to other parents. But David, I think what we discovered in preparing for this podcast is that maybe even a majority of parents don't agree with that. They wouldn't pick up the phone and make the call and they don't want to get the information. Look, it's clear that different parents will bring different perspectives and values to this discussion. And we heard from a lot of parents, you know, a number of legitimate reasons why they may not want to make that call. We heard that parents were concerned about maybe a loss of friendship or strained relations between not just adults, but the kids. Parents are concerned that it won't go well. There'll be anger and hostility and they'll actually make the entire situation worse. And then one other concern that for me I think is the most valid is that parents are concerned about a loss of trust between a parent and their own child because if they learn about it from their child, they don't want to violate that confidential relationship and then go tell another parent what they discovered. Is that valid? It is up to a point. Remember that kids rely on their parents to keep them safe. And that's something that we've talked about on a number of these episodes. And part of, I think, parents informing other parents is to be able to keep their kids safe. And I think that's something that kids ultimately want, not just for themselves, but for their friends. That said, they don't want to be the kid whose parent ratted them out. So there's a very fine line that parents have to walk when they're going to think about bringing in another parent into these issues. We've seen different parents make very different decisions in different contexts. So, for example, on our second episode, Jen talked about calling other parents when she heard kids using uh, foul language over um, the PS4 when they were playing Fortnite. I don't know that I would have made that call, but I respect that decision. And I probably would have liked to have known if our son was doing that. Then we heard a circumstance where A mom recently told us that her daughter in eighth grade received a naked pic from a boy in eighth grade. That mom decided not to call the parent of the boy. I think I would have. In that situation, I think that there really is potential risk of harm 
for that boy and that the parent ought to know because the kid may be doing it in other circumstances. You don't know where the picture goes and there really are risks. But that mom decided that she did not want to get involved. And I guess I respect that as well. These are difficult choices to make. And that's exactly why we're discussing that on today's episode. David, one of the reasons why I do feel so strongly about contacting other parents in the context of online behavior or digital posts is that there really is something that parents can do. And so if by calling another parent, I give them an opportunity to help their child remove a post, take down a picture, or change something online, I think that is a really valuable thing to do because that gives the parent the opportunity to help their own kid and get that content off the internet. And any delay makes the potential that much worse. Yes, but I think you need to remember that you are giving the parent that opportunity. That parent then has the choice to decide whether or not they're going to want to take that opportunity. And I think that times when these things don't go well are when you know the reporting parent is expecting that the other parent is going to respond in a certain way and they don't. And that's where uh, sometimes this just gets a little more dicey. I think that's right. So one piece of advice I would always have is that if you decide to call another parent, you need to expect the unexpected or better yet, have no expectations. The parent may not agree with you. The parent may not take any action. And the parent may actually get angry at you. And so before you pick up the phone, if you aren't prepared for any of those outcomes, then I wouldn't make the call. Exactly. Well, with that, I think it's time to turn to our guests. What's interesting is that we had a really difficult time finding parents who wanted to engage in this conversation on the podcast. In fact, I couldn't find any parents in the Washington, D.C. area who wanted to be on the show and discuss this. So we turned to the West Coast. And we're going to have two moms from Northern California join us by phone. First, Sharon Analik owns her own consulting firm and previously worked at companies like Ask Jeeves and Blue Cross. She's a former professor of cyber law. And what's really cool is that Sharon was a senior advisor to HBO when they were developing the series Silicon Valley. She advised on privacy, tech and security. And Sharon has given countless presentations to parent groups and schools about kids and internet safety. And then our second guest today is going to be Michelle Dennity. Michelle is currently the vice president and chief privacy officer of Cisco. She previously held similar positions for Oracle and Sun Microsystems. Michelle is also the founder of the Identity Project, which is an organization that addresses the privacy needs of sensitive populations. Michelle also has her own podcast. She's a published author and an advocate for children online. So we're very excited to have both of these women on the show. And my expectation is not that their views will necessarily reflect the opinions of everyone in our audience, but rather I think these women will tee up the key issues and offer thoughtful ideas that I think will spark future conversations and discussions. And with that, let's get to it. Michelle, let's start with you before we dive into the subject. Just tell our audience a little bit about you and your family. Yeah, so I am a single mom of a tween and a teen. I've got a 12. Actually, by the time you hear this, she'll be 13. 
and a 17-year-old, two girls, all the drama. Okay, Sharon? Well, don't think that you get all the drama, Michelle. (laughs) I, too, have a tween and a tween and two boys, and there is still plenty of drama in the boy department as well. (laughs) Yes, there is. and and 13 years old. So let's dig into this topic. At what point and in what circumstances does one parent contact and reach out to another parent about conduct, activities, or things they've seen online? Michelle, let's start with you just generally, your thoughts, and if you've had experiences about this. Yeah, I have many, many thoughts, and sadly, some pretty poor experience, and then I've had a couple spots of bright spots You know, the bottom line for me, and I've had this discussion with both girls before they really were online or had accounts on on any sort of platform, is that I don't have the time to, like, look at all of your Justin Bieber crushes. They don't even know who Justin Bieber is. (laughs) But I am going to be looking for certain things. If I see evidence of crimes, including drugs or nudes being sent around, or if I start to get the sense that something is unsafe... I'm going to then not be, quote unquote, cool, and we're going to start to get parents involved. And I've asked both of them, and we've run through scenarios, what that means. And and one of the scenarios we run through is if it's a friend or even if it's just a classmate that you don't know very well, sharing with a parent and asking for help may include reaching out to that child's parent. And no one is, quote unquote, in trouble when it comes to those items of safety, legality, or or just all around well-being. How are you categorizing that? What conduct, what activities fit into that where you feel that you would contact and what's out of bounds? In the discussion, it's it's very different than the reality. So for example, when we first started talking, you know, we talked about what the red cup symbolizes to grown-ups. We assume that there is alcohol in that cup. I recognize now Dixie has picked up on this and they're selling different colored party cups. <laughs> but if I see gangs of kids with red cups doing dumb things, I'm going to assume that there's alcohol in the mix. And I'm going to I'm going to start asking questions about something like that. Now, as my teenager has progressed through high school you know, I'm not a fool. There is underage drinking. If I saw a a cup on an Instagram now, I would be very much less likely to pick up the phone and call a parent. I would still have that conversation of like, gee, that's dumb to put out there permanently into the world. But at some point you would have, I mean, this is a very good example, right? It's the picture that the kid posts of a party And it's obvious that the high school students are drinking alcohol or maybe juuling or maybe even something else. So it's not your kid, but it's somebody else's photo and other kids, you know, or classmates. You call the parent. Um, So I, I don't know is the honest truth. I think for the older teen, I think my line would be closer to if I saw illegal drugs there or if I saw huge numbers of kids rather than just four people around a pizza box with some red cups, it would be very situational where I would have first have a conversation, and this is an agreement we have, first I have a conversation with my children. I don't want them to be sandbagged. And, and then we would collectively decide what to do. All right, Sharon? So I've had both positive and negative experiences with reaching out to, to other parents. I would say I lean probably more towards communicating with other parents than not. 
probably because my bias is that I want to know more. And so I assume that others do as well, but I've learned that that's not actually the case. Many parents do not want to know. Yeah, it's weird. It is strange. I'm always surprised by that. So for me, it's always a case-by-case determination because of the consequences involved. And so I think about when I see activity that raises up a red flag for me, I think about the age, the age of my kid and the age of the other kids involved. I look at the type of activity that we're talking about. Is this a health or safety issue? Is this something illegal? How is the parent that I reach out to likely to respond? And what are the ramifications for my child likely to be? I look at all of those factors in determining whether or not to reach out. And also, you know, the boys are a little bit younger. And so the consequences of ignorance can be greater. My older daughter, the consequences of permanent damage to things like scholarships or jobs or being prosecuted as an adult, you know, for bad things are are more dire. But again, as Sharon said, I love that kind of mantra. It's sort of that do unto others. Like, what would I want to know? And that's how I approach the parent. Okay. David and I were talking before you joined us. And in preparing for the podcast, I spoke to a number of parents about this topic. And then I did some research and looked at a lot of parenting blogs and advice columns on these topics. The default I got from my research was most parents won't call. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me that that's what you're reading. But my response to that is that I think that's the case because most people are wimps. Um, (laughs) Tell it like it is, sister. I mean, it. I think that there is a lot of anxiety on the part of parents to reach out to someone. Parents go through a lot of the same peer pressure concerns that kids do. They do. do. I feel like I'm reliving high school. That's interesting. Yes. And so I think that's part of the concern. They don't want another parent to be angry at them, to feel that they are being judged. They don't want to be excluded from the little parent coffee coffee meetups, right? Yes. And so they don't um, they don't know how the parents will react, and so they don't do it. I still stand firm in my position that I'm more likely to reach out than not. Um, although I have honed the criteria for that over time, and as I talked to other parents before this as well and sort of floated the idea. It was interesting to me to hear how many parents said to me, I definitely wouldn't say anything Uh to another parent and I wouldn't want someone to tell me. People feel that when another parent is telling them something about their kid, they're they're being judged. Well, they're in their business and that they're being judged and they don't want to be judged by another parent. Isn't that fascinating? So the ego takes precedent over the safety. And I I think I think to the parenting blogs, I think it is all in the interpretation of health and safety, because as I've said, particularly for an older child, you know, knowing that there is drinking going on, some parents allow that in their homes. I'm not crazy about it. But I have to parent my child so that, you know, she makes her choices. But that's very different for me than and, and it gets down to that health and safety. And so what is health and safety? Michelle, pause on that for one sec, please, because there are going to be two separate issues. One is when we're looking at online conduct. And let's take the example of posting photographs on Instagram or whatever social media platform. One is the conduct that you are seeing in the photo. And then the secondary issue is the fact of or poor judgment exercised in posting the photograph, which then could implicate online reputation for years to come, right? So I don't know. Do you see it that way? Do you follow my analysis? 
I do very much so. But at the same time, I'll give you some some more concrete examples where a young lady was just not full on nudes and I'm gosh, help whatever is going on on her ephemeral platforms. I'm putting in hard air quotes ephemeral because a lot of the sites that say they are instant delete are not. Right. But we had a young lady who was in late junior high and early high school years when this was going on. It was thong bikinis with the bottom raised to the camera. It was the boob shots on the beach. And if this young person didn't get over, I think the number was outrageous. It was like two or 300 clicks or likes or whatever it was on the platform, she would take a more outrageous picture. This is very young child. We're talking like maybe 13, 14. I actually did have a conversation with the mom and asked my ex-husband to have a conversation with the dad, um, kind of a man-to-man and a mom-to-mom situation. And um, I tell you what, it was not received terribly warmly. From the father, it was, this isn't true. You're making a big deal out of it. You're calling my daughter names. You're not perfect. Very defensive and aggressive. The mom was more, kids will be kids. And she's not actually naked. And I was like, well, does she know 300 people that should be hitting like? And you know, into the dad, like, what do you think those 300 grown men are thinking about when they are looking at your child? So it didn't go very far, but I was saying to to the mom in particular, my concern isn't just posting the image. I mean, it does pose a risk to her classmates because I said, quite honestly, just a slight step further. And I'm not even sure if some of these could be interpreted as child porn. And my kid, is indicated in sharing child pornography. And I'm not down with my kid going down. But more importantly, I think it indicates not a promiscuous child or a child that needs to be judged, but a child who is so hungry for attention that that is something that a parent can do something about. It's not me pointing a finger and saying, neener, neener, neener. It's my saying, hey, you know what? This is a cry for help. So figure out what's going on with your child. And I'm I'm on her side. I want her to flourish. And I, I'm very concerned about this behavior. To your point earlier, Mark, on, on health and safety, mentally, how is this child developing? So for both of you, what are we talking about when you say, if a kid's in danger, I would contact a parent? What is it you would see online? What kind of conduct that would fit that category? I think seeing any type of images of weapons would absolutely send up the red flags and I wouldn't stop to to contemplate that too much. I think if I saw someone with um, with a gun or in indicating self-harm or certainly harm to others, I think that's a clear action situation. But I think it's rare that those are the situations, right? Yeah. It's, it's more it's of a way. It's to overt. Exactly. But what would indication of self-harm be? Cutting. There's a lot of cutting going on. I don't understand the behavior. It didn't exist when I was a kid, but I think that's a, an example of stress relief that a lot of kids seem to be engaging in. And they tend to show it in terms of actual pictures of cutting or sometimes even just a wrist Mm -hmm. as if to indicate this is what I'm looking at. Yeah. At what point do you alert somebody else besides a parent, especially if you're worried that the parent is not going to take this seriously? 
that to me is back to the the case by case analysis is really looking at what is the norm for this kid, this family, this community, and does it seem outside of the norm? But assuming that I saw someone with a weapon and I thought it was outside of the norm, this is not a family that grew up hunting and where I know that the kids understand safety of uh, hunting rifles, this seemed like a more health and safety kind of situation, I would reach out to the parents first. And and it's super awkward. I think you start with that conversation. You're like, you know what, this is super awkward and I'm not accusing you or your child of anything, but I care about your child. I care about the community that my child is growing up in. Mm -hmm. And I'd hate to be the one waking up on February 15th in, in Stoneman Douglas community and saying, gosh, an awkward conversation versus this. Now I'm not suggesting in any sort of way that any of these shootings can be prevented by a phone call. However, I think you can say, listen, I'm just concerned. The world is a weird place. I'm not judging you. I I hope you won't judge me for being overreactive. But I think you just kind of, you come to it with your heart in your hand and say, listen, I'm coming from a good place. And I, I just really am coming out of empathy and concern as a parent, you know, to share some information I would want to have. So how about this one for both of you? And you're going to come at it from different perspectives because you've won as girls and boys. So eighth grade, your child receives an unsolicited naked pic from another eighth grade student. Do you contact the parent of the child who sent the unsolicited naked pic? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a crime. And, and the other thing I would say to that parent is, first of all, this is a crime. Secondly, this is not the kind of conduct I want to see happening between our students. It's making my child unsafe and it's making your family unsafe. So, Michelle, so, I'm going to jump in. Hang on. Let me just jump in here. <clears throat> because while we each had the exact same answer, which was absolutely we would tell, I would approach the conversation differently. I wouldn't lead with this is a crime, although I agree it is a <laughs> right. crime. No, no, no. I would lean in with my whole, like, I just care about you, right. blah, blah, blah. Okay. But bottom line, kids, that's crime. Yes. <laughs> but I think where I've had um, positive experiences versus negative ones in reaching out to parents, I think a lot of it had to do with tone and approach. Absolutely. And so where I came at it with a soft approach and said, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I know you probably want to know if it were me, I would want to know. So I'm just letting you know, right, with this very calm, tiptoey approach. It's like, I'm about to lower the boom. I'm going to put some sugar on it for you. Right. But where I reached out in a more frustrated state and said, hey, what your kid is doing is not okay, as you can imagine, that did not land well. I just want to challenge you on this a little bit in that a lot of parents I spoke to and things I read, parents would not make that phone call because it is inherently going to be so awkward, uncomfortable. The accusation is pretty intense. And I know in a conversation we're saying it, but I want you to reiterate, you're both confident you would pick up that phone and make that call. Absolutely. Mark, you seem surprised that that we both are are right, that we are both so adamantly uh, in favor of telling. I just want to make sure I understood the scenario. Another eighth grader sends a naked photo of themselves. Yes. To a child. Right. To anyone. (laughs) Yeah, to anyone. Exactly. Period. Right. That that individual is not old enough to make that kind of decision, is not old enough to understand the uh, consequences and implications. And absolutely, I would get their parent involved. If I didn't know the parent, if I knew the parent, yeah, it would then be it's easy. two seconds, right? Yeah. If I didn't, 
I might think about who I know who is good friends with them to have that conversation, but I wouldn't stop acting on this until I knew that someone had contacted the parent to let them know. So I'm going to get back to my question from before. What about speaking to a third party, school guidance counselor, that kind of thing? What are your thoughts on that? If this is a nude photo being sent to another child, I believe you have to report. I just do. When it's 14 and 15 and you've got 15-year-olds and a lot of them are sexually active, whether we like it or not, and it's an intimate photo situation, I'm not sure. And in my case, I did not contact the administration once I felt confident that all the kids had sort of come to an agreement. Now, I don't know if that's the right thing that I did or not, but that's what I chose to do at that point. But I don't think age for me is not the distinctive thing. I think the the safety overall of the kids and including their mental health and safety is paramount for me. And if I feel like the trick is, and I've seen this scenario play out too, is when you do tell and you're in the right, I have seen the swirl happen. The online bullying happens. You're a snitch. Um, So if you do have to go to the administration, you really have to be very careful that your own child isn't pulled in, in in your haste and anger. You can say, listen, I'm only telling you so that you can act responsibly here. I do not want my child brought into this. Why do we get the school involved? In other words... They, yes, these kids go to the same school, but this is conduct that takes place outside school between two kids. Why are we going to the principal? It's a great question. I think one of the things is without getting law enforcement involved, which is perhaps the right thing to do, but so much more permanent. These are authority figures in the lives of these kids and have the ability to shut it down. I think the other thing is that outside the parent circle, most kids now are being asked to sign online policies and agree that there's a code of conduct. And so you're you're pulling in a number of different authorities for a child, depending on where they are in the spectrum of tween to really young adult, to, to figure out what authority is going to be the most effective. And I think that's true, especially in the elementary and junior high years, is getting the school involved. And I think it depends on the school, right? It's smaller schools or private schools. Often they're already very involved. They teach digital citizenship proactively in the schools, and they have these types of internet or online digital agreements that the students sign. And so when they are alerted to situations, whether it's inappropriate language or pictures or bullying, they can get involved in the classrooms and help target that particular issue and do sort of an immediate training and discussion as well as uh, potentially facilitate discussion with parents. And we see that happening at the elementary and junior high level. I think in high school, it's a different situation. Right. But I think when you have situations like, uh, let's take bullying, (coughs) for example, and it's some type of group chat or involvement where there are a number of kids from the class or from the school, I do think it makes sense (coughs) to... To notify the school because it's unlikely that it's occurring online but not offline. Exactly. So the school may or may not be aware that this type of dynamic is taking place, and this way they could be aware of it, even if they don't have truly an authoritative position. In the case of cyberbullying, and I know it's got a very broad definition, but Sharon Michelle, you see cyberbullying. Do you call a parent? That's a good question. I think it depends. And and again, like I think the world of my older teen has gone 
very much opaque. Like there's no way all these kids are as perfect as their images are that I'm seeing. So I know that they're communicating and doing their own thing wherever they're doing. So I'm not seeing as much of that. And I think also their their social instincts are what they are now. So, you know, they've self-selected into groups and clubs and whatever's earlier. And Sharon brings up exactly the example where it seems to pop up first. It's the group chats. Either everyone's swirling and picking on one person or exclusion, which can be just as painful. So on the cyberbullying, let me read you something. So this is from a very reputable website by some very reputable experts. And this is what they wrote. Refrain from contacting the parents of the one doing the bullying. Some parents confronted with accusations that their child is engaging in cyberbullying may become defensive and therefore may not be receptive to your thoughts. Be judicious in your approach to avoid additional drama and possible retaliation. And so it goes with my sort of theme coming into this, which was I was stunned at how many websites gave the guidance that we shouldn't be contacting parents. I can see where their heart is in it. Of the, and, I, and in the cyberbullying case, I think it's not bad advice in the way, you know, I was, I was kind of talking through the scenario, working through it with the kids to even recognize when they are being a little over the top or a little extra, as the kids say, is, is one thing. And I, and I never resorted to calling a parent because the behavior stopped. But the retaliation, if you know, you're being overparented can be really severe. So I, I understand that reticence, but again, it depends on a lot of different things, including severity. So I'm going to stand by my previous statement that I think it's a, one needs to make a case by case determination. Mm-hmm. So at the early stages, let's call it of cyberbullying, right? There's a spectrum of intensity and frequency and all of those things. The beginning of it, my my indication wouldn't be to reach out to the other parent. I think that is an opportunity to work with my child on how to how to deal with that, right? Bullying comes in many different forms, not just as kids, but as adults. Even at work. Right. <laughs> and so what are the tools that I can help him develop to deal with that? Whether it's remove yourself from a situation, how to respond, how to engage your friends in this as well, right? All of the different pieces. That's both for yourself and when you see it for someone else, right? To be an upstander, right? Not a bystander. And so I think there are opportunities to have those conversations if I felt that it crossed the line into maybe specificity um, or intensity or into an offline environment and my son's efforts to stop this or remove himself from it were not enough, then I would go to either a parent or the school or whatever, whoever the adult figure might be for that situation. But I think initially that's an opportunity for us to help them learn that we can't expect them to know how to deal with these situations just by being born, right? We have to help them navigate and they're tough for adults too. Well, helping your kid navigate is one thing, right? Calling the other parent changes the dynamic, but I'm not disagreeing. I, I, my instincts really were yours. Here's another, I went to another parenting website and this is what how they did it. It says, why you should not call. Over the next few years, you will likely learn many things about your teenager's peers that you might think another parent would want to know. But as juicy as your information is, ask yourself, Is that teenager in any immediate danger? If your answer is no, then don't call. I would put cyberbullying on the spectrum of putting my kid in danger. 
So again, if it starts out not being very severe or not being very actionable. Yeah, like humorous teasing. Okay, somebody posts a highly offensive meme. We're middle school or say they're 14 years old. Highly offensive, racist meme. No one's in danger. What do you do? I think that's a great example because I think a highly offensive racist or any ist meme, right, is that is the teaching moment. That is like, what do you feel about this? What do you see about this? What are you going to do other than look the other way and do nothing? And do you want my help doing it? Because that's when I, I have them formulate a plan so that they can figure out what their plan is. Because the, the other piece that I keep wanting to bring up is you have to remember as a parent and just be prepared. First of all, parenting is hard. I'm sorry, we all won the, the medal by deciding to replicate ourselves. Your child is not going to give you a medal and be like, thanks, mom. <laughs> like, be prepared to be a little hated for a while. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that's really important for us as parents is to have two different conversations. Right. One is with our kids about what we expect, what could digital citizenship looks like, what to do in certain situations, right? Those conversations. And the other one, I think, is with the adults in our life. Absolutely. The adults who are the parents of the kids that our kids hang out with and who our kids are near and to find out what their desire is. When I had conversations with people before this podcast to let them know and mention the topic, Again, I was stunned by how many people said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, because they would never have to call parent. another parent. Yeah, they, and, because they have to parent. Right. So I use the opportunity to say, I want to know. Yeah, it's I harsh, always but want it's true. to know. But I think when we have those conversations, we get a sense of what someone's comfort level is. So yeah. even using this podcast, once it airs, to mention it in circles, right, as parents are hanging out, say, Oh, did you hear this uh, podcast the other day? And mention the topic because I, guarantee that people have an, an opinion and you will know right away whether those are parents who want to hear about it or yeah, not. Yeah, and, and I'm trying not to be flipped that parents don't want to parent, but I am very concerned in the fact that we have to parent as a community and not just as solos. I don't think everyone agrees with that. I know they don't. In fact, I, I know they don't. And so I just sort of alert them. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm a bit extra. I'm going <laughs> to warn you in advance. When I think back, right, to... When I was growing up, if another parent called my parents and said that I had done something wrong, right, I'd be punished without question. And my parents would thank the parent. And like up until high school, I think everyone knew each other and other parents helped keep track of each other. And it was kind of what you just said, right? Parenting is a community. I don't know. Maybe that's the way I remember. It's not true. But is something different today? Are parents more reluctant, less engaged, not want to know? I think one thing that's very different for kids and for parents today than it was back then is parents are dealing with the same stresses and insecurities stemming from social media that kids are. Yes. Right? Fear of missing out. Yeah. Well, I don't even mean that. I mean, does your life look as perfect as someone exactly. else's life? Everyone's and under a microscope. Yes. And wanting to curate their the view and impression of themselves so and their family. True. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up. So I'd like to thank you, but also give you each a chance for sort of a closing thought about this. Parents have grappled with issues around when do we contact other parents for centuries, I imagine. We're talking about sort of the digital world. Does that change it? Is there something different today about this digital environment that makes you think differently? Or would you be having the same answers no matter what? I think there is something different. I think whether it's the permanence of the digital record, right? We all did stupid things. 
as kids, not as me. teens. Not, okay, Perfect. apparently not Michelle. I did. I'll own that. I don't even swear. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face when you say that. <laughs> um, we all did stupid things. But the ramifications for doing something stupid was that the next day at school, people talked about it. Right. Right. And maybe you had a nickname for a little while, but then it went away and they moved. People moved on to the next embarrassing moment. And here your digital record stays with you. Even when you think it's gone, it's not. So, again, if you do something stupid at a party. It's really the people who are there who saw you do it. Now, if you do something stupid and you post it or someone else posts it, that could go viral in no time. And all of a sudden, thousands of people see it. And so the magnitude and the impact is so much stronger. And I think that has an impact on people's emotional state. And so I just think that the stakes are higher all the way around, which is why I think the parents need to be communicating a lot with their kids, building that trust relationship, talking to them about what expectations are, when they can come to them for help and what they will do. And having conversations with other parents to try to set some norms in their own communities. Yeah, and I think the the quantity of communication and permanence makes the quality different. And so I think we need to, we haven't evolved and the platforms are all still too young for us as parents to have evolved the culture. So talking a lot about it and figuring this out is really critical. There may be really easy answers 10 years from now. We are all parenting in the digital age for the first time ever in the history of the world. Well, I think that is a great note to end on. I want to thank you both for joining us on their own devices for, I think, a really important conversation. I thought this issue was really cut and dry, and it's just not. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) That was a pretty engaging uh, and sometimes emotionally charged conversation with Michelle and Sharon. I really appreciated their honesty and their candor. There's no right or wrong in these are difficult issues. As I said earlier, I don't know that their views and opinions will be representative of many listeners, but... Our goal today was to really tee up this issue and maybe begin a conversation, a discussion among parents about when we all do think we should reach out. Parents should understand that in the digital world, it is really important to understand context. So make sure you really do know the facts and have the evidence. Are there other posts that you have not seen? Remember that accounts can be misused and abused by others. And so, again, before we jump to conclusions about something we see online, Stop, pause, and make sure that we know what we're seeing. And Mark, I think it's also important to remember that the online world and the in real life world for this generation is seamless, as we uh, discussed in a previous episode. So that context may actually also not just be what's posted, but what's going on in the kid's real life. Also, avoid value judgments, avoid judgments of, I think that this is bad, I think that this is wrong, just kind of give the facts. That tees up my other point, which is that I do think parents should be calling other parents, but if you're going to do it, be prepared for any outcome. It could go very well and be positive, but the parent you call could get incredibly angry and it could produce some problematic outcomes and you should know that going in. And I just want to put in a plug for something I mentioned earlier, which is there may be instances where actually contacting a third party like a school guidance counselor, especially if you are concerned about the kids' well-being, sometimes that can be a little less 
difficult of a conversation than actually contacting the parent in certain instances. I think that's great. And so with that, what we're hoping is that while this episode may not have provided anyone with answers to questions or solutions, what we're hoping is that it has sparked a conversation so that we can know when others want to be contacted and how others approach it. I personally think that it's a difficult topic. And as Michelle noted in her conclusion, this is uncharted territory for parents. We are parenting in a digital world for the first time. There's no right or wrong here. And I think if we all go forward and acknowledge that and try and help each other out, we'll all be better off. And most importantly, I think that our children will be better off. Thanks for listening to Their Own Devices. This show is a conversation and we'd love to hear from you. Have you contacted another parent to discuss a potential issue about his or her child's online behavior? Have you received that call? What recommendations do you have for other parents? Email us at hello at theirowndevicespodcast.com. Their Own Devices is hosted and produced by Mark Roman and David Reitman. The podcast is recorded at Clean Cut Studios in Washington, D.C., and this episode was edited by Ryan Dan. Be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It will help other parents find the show and get the info they need. We'll see you next time. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.